Welcome, everyone. So good to have all of you at all of our churches, Bluntstown, Chipley, and Mariana, as we are in our second week of our series entitled Note to Self. And this is the last week of this series. So if you missed uh, last week, I would encourage you to go to our app or website where you can watch or you can listen, uh, because it'll give you even greater context for what we're going to be hearing and sharing today as well. And there's some things that you want to apply from last week that will even make this whole application of the series even greater for you. Now, before we jump into our conversation today, every fourth Sunday of the month, we go above our normal giving to show our communities that God is for them by the way that we as a church are for them. We call it our $4 for Other Sunday, and what we do on our $4 for Other Sunday is we all come together, and we give a little bit, but we all give, and it adds up to this great blessing and opportunity for um, organizations or people in our communities that are serving people in our community. So each month, what happens is these funds are given to groups of people or organizations that serve in our communities in order to bless them and continue to encourage them and just partner with them in the process of blessing our community. So Remember, the goal is not the amount. The goal is that we have like 100% of us coming together to bless our communities. Now, the month of May, in the month of May, is National Nurses Week and National Hospital Week. So with that in mind, this month, your $4 is going to go to bless a group of people in our communities that serve our communities 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But here's the thing. Even though they serve our communities 24-7, here's what I know. Their service oftentimes gets unnoticed most of the time. So who is this group of people that we are going to bless? This month, we're going to bless the staff members at the nursing homes in our communities. I'm going to tell you why. If you've ever had a person in rehab or in a nursing home, I'm just telling you, it is life-giving when you have a great staff member. It, you just, it's like, it's, it's invaluable. So here's how you can give. When you came in today, there was an envelope on the chair. When you're in the auditorium, you can put the money in that giving envelope and you can drop it in the giving boxes on your way out. Or you can scan the QR code that was on that giving envelope. Or you can go to RCC app and you can give to the four fund digitally that way. So I'm going to let all of you go ahead and just start doing that right now. But there's something else I want to say as you are preparing to do or as you're doing your digital or your envelope. While you're doing that, there are many of you that I want to thank because you are generous givers. In other words, you are a priority percentage giver, meaning that you have this consistent plan to help us fund the mission of our church of leading people in a growing relationship with Jesus. And because of your generosity, not only are we able to minister to people in our communities, but we're also able to minister to people in other countries. In fact, this past week, we had a team in Costa Rica that were training pastors there. In fact, here are some pictures of the team as they're doing some of the training there. I just want to say thank you so much for being a church that is helping us show the love of Jesus through the many different expressions of being for. Without your generosity, it could never happen. So we had a team of David K. Dalton and Kevin and then Tina and Roland. They were all there um, training pastors. It's absolutely amazing what happened out of this week. Um, and here's why this is such a big deal for us as a church. Because as followers of Jesus, you heard me say this before, we should be known for our no-strings-attached love and generosity because that's what our leader, Jesus, is known for. For God so loved the world that he what gave. He sacrificially gave. And we want to be that kind of church as well. So thank you so much for being a 
church that is for not only our church, but our communities, but also the world as well. So now, go ahead and grab those RCC apps. You can go to the talk notes and follow along there. If you got your Bibles you want to follow along, go to Matthew chapter 6, because we're going to pick up where we left off last week. Because as we started last week, we began this conversation saying that we all have things that keep us up at night. We all are dealing with things that cause worry, fear, and anxiety in our life. In fact, some of you most likely have not slept well in months because you have something or some things that are keeping you awake. So the question we started with last week as we began this two-part conversation was this question. Why do you feel worried, fearful, and anxious? And here's why. When we worry about something, we worry because it feels out of control. I mean, that is one of the root causes of worry, fear, and anxiety. We think about it, I mean, or if you think about it this way, worry, fear, and anxiety is something you never feel when you feel like you're in control of something. When you feel like you have a good grasp or you're in control or there's a certain outcome, you don't worry about it. So worry, fear, and anxiety really are the byproduct of uncertainty. So we feel worry, fear, and anxiety whenever life feels uncertain, whenever life feels out of control. In fact, you could even say it this way. Worry is about the uncertainty of the future. And because every one of us, we are security magnets, we are certainty magnets. In other words, we want everything to be certain, we want everything to be secure. So all of us, we look for someone or something to give us the security in our life whenever we're facing times of uncertainty in our life. And when we look at the wrong thing for security, what happens is that then becomes the root of our fear, our worry, or anxiety. And here's why that is so true. Worry always draws you back to the temporary and the uncertain. Don't miss that. If you were not here last week, we, we, we really emphasize this. Worry, it always draws you back to the temporary and the uncertain. Not the eternal and the hopeful, but the temporary and the uncertain. So worry, what it does is it takes your eyes off of God and his purpose and it puts you and your agenda and your ability to control things in the forefront of your mind, which is why worry and faith, they cannot coexist. So it should not surprise us whenever we talk about this subject that we can find Jesus talking about worry, fear, and anxiety a lot. So today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about how we can deal with worry, fear, and anxiety. Last week, we began looking at the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, and we began to discover why we worry. Today, we're going to talk about how we can deal with worry, fear, and anxiety. Now, to do that, I want to begin by having you answer another question. Would you finish this sentence? I'm worried, I'm afraid, or I'm anxious that you fill in the blank. What would that thing be? Some of you, you are worried about your health. Some of you are really even anxious about it. Some, some of you, are you're worried about your education, like am I making enough good, good, good enough grades to go to the college I wanted to go to or get into the program that I want to get into. Some of you are worried about your marriage. Some of you are worried about your lack of marriage. Some of you are anxious about your future. Some of you are worried that your plan for your career is not working out. So, some of you feel fear about money or paying bills or saving enough money. Some of you are worried that your faith is not strong enough. Some of you are just worried about your faith. 
And that's kind of ironic when you think about it, being worried about your faith, but you worry about your faith because you worry about your relationship. Well, how's it going with God? And how does God feel about me? And am I doing what I really should do in my relationship with God? So some of us, you worry about our faith. Some of you worry about having kids. Others of you are worried that you will never get rid of your kids. <laughs> so some of you are worried that you're going to survive raising your kids. I mean, I, I think we all that have had children, we, we get that. So some of you are anxious about the economy. Some of you are worried about politics. Some of you are filled with so much fear about what's going to happen to our country. And I would just say, quit watching the news. They say the same thing over and over again, right? Amen. Half of that will go away. So some of you are just kind of worried about a project that you want to finish. Maybe out you had a project you want to finish this weekend. You're thinking, am I going to get that done? And if I have to go back work on Tuesday, what's going to happen? Some, some of you are worried about more serious things, about how much time you have left on this earth. I've had multiple conversations with people over the last month or two, and they're just like, man, I just, I'm just worried about how much time do I really have here? So some of you are worried because you aren't worried about anything. <laughs> now, listen, that's when you know that you're a real professional worrier. It's like, I'm just, I'm not worried about anything, but I'm so worried that I'm not worried about anything. So here's the thing, here's the point. So what are you worried, afraid, or anxious of? What is that? And here's the thing. I bet whatever you put in this blank was something that you did not worry about when you were a little kid. You didn't worry about it when you were a child. Have you ever noticed that kids do not worry? Because see, children assume that whatever they need their parents are going to provide. Don't, don't miss what I'm going to say next. Kids don't worry until they're taught to worry. Nobody is born a worrier. Worry is a learned behavior. Thank you very much, mom and dad, right? You know, it's like... So what, what happens is, is we're not born into this world a worrier. We, we just trust that our parents are going to provide for us, but then we're taught to worry. And so Jesus taught us that for those of us who are followers of him, not only we're not born in this world a worrier, but worry is completely unnecessary. And some of you, when you hear that statement, that worry is completely unnecessary, that just sounds so irrational. It sounds so impractical. It sounds even impossible. But we all, and when we stop and think about it, we know that worry doesn't fix anything, it doesn't improve anything, but we forget and we don't know how to quit. So the question is, how do you not worry? Like, how do I get from knowing worry isn't helpful to actually not worrying? Well, Jesus offers us an alternative in Matthew chapter 6 that we want to look at today. See, if we could figure out how to live this out, or if we would just move in and lean into this, I'm telling you, it would radically change our lives. In fact, what Jesus says to that group of 100 or so people on the hillside when he does the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, I just want you to understand, it is so extraordinary that if you're not a follower of Jesus, this might help you understand why you should become a follower of Jesus. 
So today what I'm going to do is I'm going to reread several verses that we covered last week just to kind of remind us of how Jesus describes this problem of worry. And then we're going to keep moving in the passage and jump into what Jesus says is the solution. So if you got your Bibles, go with me to Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 27. Here's what Jesus says. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And we all know the answer to that is what? No. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. And then he goes on to say, yet I can tell you that not even Solomon, who was the wisest man who ever lived and was the richest man when he lived, he says, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. And then he says, now I want you to consider this next thing. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? I mean, this statement is so important for us to reflect on because Jesus' point is this. Do you trust that God can and will take care of you? See, because from Jesus' perspective, our whole worry issue is really a trust issue. It's really a faith issue in the fact that God can and God will take care of me. So here again, a question. Do you believe that God can take care of you? And most of us would go, yeah, I believe that God can take care of me. But it's the second part that we struggle with the most, isn't it? Do you trust that God not only can, but that God will take care of you? Do, do you believe that God will take care of you? Do you believe that God will take care of your future? Do you believe that God will take care of your tomorrow? Do you believe that God will take care of whatever is out of your control? Now, let's just be honest. Our problem is we don't live today believing God is in control of tomorrow. That's why we all worry. That's why we're filled with fear. That's why we get overwhelmed with anxiety. We think the future is uncertain and we think it's out of anyone's control. But Jesus comes along and he goes, oh, that's not true. In fact, his advice is this. You don't need to worry because tomorrow is under the control of the only one who has all the control. And even more important than that, God loves you. And he cares about you. He says, if God takes care of the flowers of the field and the birds of the air like he does, don't you think he'll take care of you? So whatever you're worried about, it comes down to this one question. Do you trust that God will handle and be in control of things tomorrow? Do you trust that God can, that God will take care of you if he created this complex world and all the things that are in it and he cares for all of those things don't you think he knows what's best for your life and what you need for your life so jesus says this is why i say don't worry and then he drives this point home of not worrying that we don't need that it's not necessary notice what he says in verse 31 he says so do not worry saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what 
shall we wear. Don't miss that. He, he brings us back to that idea of saying, don't worry about what we shall eat or drink or wear because that's what we tend to worry about is are we going to have enough for tomorrow? So Jesus is saying, while you need to be responsible, do all that you can today. Don't try to figure out, though, how you can control the outcome of things tomorrow. Don't try to figure out how that somehow or another you can harness God's power to make something happen the way you want it to happen. Now, here's the thing. If we were absolutely confident that God cares and that God will take care of all of our needs, How would that change our lives? In fact, listen to what he says next in verse 32. He says, for the pagans. Now, this is Jesus' words, not mine, right? The pagans, who are the pagans? They are people who don't believe there is a personal God. They they don't believe that God knows your needs. They don't believe that God answers your prayer. They don't believe that God cares. In fact, look at what he says about the pagans. He says, for the pagans, people who don't believe that God cares, that that God's personal, that God's going to answer prayers, for the pagans, they run after all these things. What things? What they're going to wear, what they're going to eat, what they're going to drink, are they going to have enough for tomorrow? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Now, this little phrase right here, for the pagans run after these things, is such a important phrase because Jesus is saying you say you believe that there's this God who cares about you more than birds of the air or the flowers of the field but you're staying awake at night trying to figure out how you're going to provide all that stuff for yourself Jesus says if you do that then you're acting like a person that doesn't even believe that there's a God who cares for you he's saying literally you're being a practical atheist so in practice you're acting like an atheist Now, here's why I think this little phrase is so important and so practical to those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ. Think about it this way. Everyone, everyone, whether they're follower of Jesus or they're not a follower of Jesus, everyone to some extent experiences the same circumstances, the same life situations, don't they? I mean, every person, follower of Jesus, not a follower of Jesus, often has the same worries. They often have the same needs. I mean, they have the same concern about their job, the same concern about their school, about their future, about their marriage. I mean, you name it, whether a person's a follower of Jesus or not a follower of Jesus, we all pretty much face similar life circumstances, situations, and concerns. And so Jesus is challenging us by saying, look, You do life in such a way as a follower of Jesus so that the people who are around you who are not followers of Jesus, who have the same worries and concerns that you do, your response should be so different that they are absolutely amazed and astounded by your response. In other words, they should be able to look at your life and say, wow, you have some similar issues. You have some similar circumstances. But you don't seem to be worried like the rest of us. You you don't seem to be fearful and anxious like the rest of us. You, You seem to be a very responsible person. But you're just not worried like the rest of us. How how do you sleep at night? Why don't you seem as out of control as the rest of us who have the same life issues or are facing similar circumstances? See, as followers of Jesus 
What Jesus is saying, it is our opportunity whenever we are in uncertain times or life feels out of control, it is our opportunity to display our faith and our trust in our Heavenly Father that he can and he will care for us. Because you really stop and think about it. The difference in our life from pagans, people who do not believe there is a personal God who cares, is not the challenges we face. It's who we look to for our security, for our hope. The difference is our response based upon who we look to for our hope and our security. So our response should be so different because you are not a pagan as a follower of Jesus. And then Jesus says, so that's why your response should be different. But then he gives a solution to worry. And he ties it all back to the idea that he introduced at the beginning of the passage. We talked about it last week where he said that you can't be devoted to two competing causes. He says, you can't be both devoted to God and someone or something for your sense of security because they're going to battle each other until one wins out. So the issue is your devotion. Now we said why or who or what you're devoted to, it really matters because that determines what you look to for security in your life because all of us are looking, as I said, to someone or something for security in times of uncertainty. And what Jesus is saying is you're going to always be doing that because we are security magnets. You're going to be looking to something or someone in this world for security in life and certainty in times of uncertainty, or you're going to be looking to Jesus, trusting him that he will, and he, he can, and he will take care of your needs. So Jesus is very clear. You cannot be partially devoted to God for security and partially devoted to someone or something else for your security. He says the solution is redirecting my devotion, the thing that I look to for security. Look at how Jesus opens a statement or he, he makes a statement about the solution. Here's how he begins. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Let that settle in just a moment. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Now, Maybe some of you have heard this statement before. You heard a priest on before and you thought, oh, so if I seek God first, then I won't worry. But you've tried that. I've tried to seek God first. Every time I read this passage or hear a sermon on or somebody talk about, it, okay, God, I'm going to seek you first and then I won't worry. But I want you to notice something. Jesus didn't say seek God first. What does he say here? Look at the passage again. He says, I want you to seek first. Literally, I want you to put your faith in. I want you to put your trust in. I want you to, if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. I want you to focus first on what? God's kingdom and his righteousness. I want you to focus first on God's kingdom which is different than seeking God first. Let me help you understand that. Seeking God is about your relationship with God. It's an internal thing. 
It's about me and God connecting. It's an internal thing. Is it an important thing? Absolutely, it's an important thing. It's the first thing. But once you start a relationship with God, he says, okay, I want you to move from that to this of seeking God's kingdom. I want you to seek first my kingdom and my righteousness because seeking God's kingdom is about your purpose with God. This is all about your relationship with God. And then he says, no, I want you to seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness because that's all about your purpose with God. It's about something external that's much greater than you. See, seeking God's kingdom means I'm looking for what God is doing in this world and I'm going to join him in his work. Listen, my focus when I'm seeking God's kingdom is about God's work around me. So here's the thing. My faith or my trust is in the fact that his purpose is better for me than my own purpose, my own goals, my own desires, my own dreams. See, one is internally focused, more self-focused. The other is externally focused, others focused. Now, here's the question. Why would Jesus give this advice, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Why would he give this advice when he's talking about worry? Here's why, because this is what worry does. Worry leads your heart toward your kingdom and away from God's kingdom. I want you to think about the things that you've worried about, felt fear about, or anxious about for the last seven days. Where did that worry cause you to focus? Your kingdom or God's kingdom? See, if we're really honest, if we look back over those things that we've worried about over the last seven days, that, that worry, it caused our focus to focus on our kingdom, on, on your desires, on your wishes, on your goals, on your hopes, on your dreams. And the greater the anxiety, the greater the focus on your kingdom. How do I get my kingdom back under control? How do I bring this back so I have certainty about my kingdom, my hopes, my goals, my dreams, my wishes? See, when I worry that I'm not going to have enough in my kingdom, or maybe that job wants not going to come through in my kingdom, or maybe I'm not going to pass that class in my kingdom, or I need more in my retirement for my kingdom, what it does it causes me to lose focus. And what ends up happening on lose focus from God's kingdom? It leads me to focus on my own kingdom, which means I'm losing sight. I'm moving away from God's kingdom and what, what he wants to do in and through me in this world. That's why Jesus says, don't worry. Because when you worry, it leads your heart away from what matters most, from what's best for your life. It moves you away from the life that God created you to live so you can have meaning and purpose in life. But think about it. Those of you that are Christ followers especially, I want you to think about this. When our world gets really uncertain, when our world gets really out of control, well, what's the first thing that we tend to do? Even though we say, oh, I'm, I'm, it's about my relationship with God. It's about, you know, God, I want, I want to grow. Well, what's the first thing we tend to do? We go, oh, well, I'm going to pull out my small group. My life's just uncertain. 
it's just out of control. I, I got to focus on my kingdom. Or I got to quit serving. I mean, because my, my life's out of control. I mean, it's just, it's uncertain. I, I got to get things back under control. Or I, some have even said, I actually need to pull out a church for a little bit. I need to spend more time trying to figure out how my kingdom's going to work. It, isn't it amazing? The thing that we do when we are living a life that feels out of, or in a season of life that feels out of control and uncertain is we do exactly the opposite of what Jesus tells us to do. And we just focus more and more on our kingdom. And when I focus more on more on my kingdom, I worry more, more, and more. And when I worry more, I feel more fear. And when I feel more fear, I feel more what? Anxious. Jesus says, I want you to seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. Now, to seek first the kingdom of God, it simply means this. It means you come before God in a posture of surrender and you talk to God and you share something like this with God. You say, Father, man, you know how bad my situation is, how, how difficult it is. It's, it's so serious. And I don't even know how you're gonna bring us through this. And I just don't even know how I'm gonna manage life or this whole, all of this stuff. But Father, your kingdom first. Your will be done. I've made the decision that your kingdom, your agenda, it comes before my agenda. Or maybe you say something like this, Father, you know how bad I want this to happen. And my temptation is just to obsess on this happening. Is it gonna happen? Is it gonna happen? And I'm gonna pull out of everything else until, until I can make sure this is gonna happen. That's my temptation. But Father, I've decided your kingdom come, your will be done on this earth in and through my life as it is in heaven. I'm trusting you, God. Your will be done. Your kingdom first. And see, that's why Jesus said to his audience and it's why Jesus said to us, I'm inviting you to seek first my kingdom I'm inviting you into my kingdom. I'm inviting you to live out kingdom living here on this earth. And the way you do that is you surrender everything and you surrender everyone. You surrender your good marriage. You surrender your bad marriage. You surrender your finances. God, I'm surrendering everything to you. And at the end of the prayer, it's your kingdom is first. Your will be done. I'm trusting you for tomorrow. I'm trusting that your kingdom will be glorified and that you, you will just shine brighter and brighter through me as I live in this, this season of uncertainty and things feeling like they're out of control. But I'm trusting you, God, so that people will know that, that they'll know you better because of what is happening in my life and my circumstances. That's what I want more than anything else in my life. And some of you are sitting here today going, that would scare me to death to let go of everything and trust God. I'm not saying be irresponsible. So we said last week, you trust God 100%, but you stay responsible, but trust God for the outcome. You're thinking, oh, it scared me. It scared me so bad. Well, if you don't want to surrender and trust God, there is one other option. Let me give it to you. You might want to write it down. Worry. Just stay awake at night trying to figure out how you're going to control it. Stay awake at night trying to figure out how you're going to bring certainty to the uncertainty. 
Figure, stay awake at night, doing what you've always done. But Jesus says, you don't have to live that way anymore. He's saying, I'm inviting you to say, Jesus, in every area of my life, your kingdom is still going to be number one. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then there's this promise that he gives us if we live out this premise. Notice this, back verse 33 again. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And then there's this promise, but really a surprising ending. And all these things will be given to you as well. All those things that you've been trying to figure out, all those things you've been worried about, all those things that even the pagans run after for certainty and security. He goes, all of those things will be given to you as well if you do this first. See, some of you have said, yeah, but I don't see God doing this for me. I don't see this promise being fulfilled in my life. Let me help you understand something. Whenever you see a promise in scripture, for every promise, there is always a premise. In other words, this first, you say, yeah, but I've been seeking God. No, 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 no. It's not about seeking God. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've already met God. You have a relationship with God. Now it's about, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And he says, listen, when you surrender everything and say, God, in the moments of uncertainty, when things are out of control, I'm not going to get drawn away and focus on my kingdom. I'm going to seek first your kingdom still. He says, when you do that, then all these things will be given to you as well. See, if you were confident that this was true, then you would experience this and you would never worry again. And neither would I. You know why? Because we would just be laser focused on prioritizing God's kingdom first in our lives and pursuing his purpose in this world, not our wishes, hopes, dreams, and desires because we would believe that God's purpose is better for us and have better outcomes and better results and being more fruitful and more fulfilling than our hopes, wishes, dreams, and desires. Now, here's the thing. The only way this is gonna happen is if we believe that he'll take care of all my needs when I live responsibly. But you gotta put his kingdom first. And then Jesus wraps all of this up and saying, hey, if you choose to do this, then I'm going to tell you how to deal with those things that you still, that still come up that you would worry about. He actually shows us how to relabel all of those worries so that the few things that you're worrying about, you, you can have a way of handing them back to God. Listen to this in verse 34. Here's what he says. Therefore, because it's true, seek first God's kingdom, keep his kingdom priority, then all these worries, things, he'll step in and handle them for you. He goes, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. If you're taking notes in your Bible, highlight that word tomorrow. It's going to come back and be very important in just a moment. Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus says, so here's what you do. You take your worry about school in the next few months. If you're moving into middle school or you're moving into high school or you're moving to college or going into another level of college, he says, here's what you do. You take that worry about that and you name it tomorrow. Or you take your worries about what's going to happen to this relationship that just, just is going sideways right now and you relabel it tomorrow. 
Take, take your worries about having a child. Take your worries about getting married. Take, take your about worries about, will my child or my marriage make it? Take your worries about whether my career is going to work out or not going to work out and relabel it tomorrow. And when you really look at it that way, I mean, it's just absolutely brilliant, isn't it? Like all of your worries, remember we said, are about the uncertainty of the future. So what you do, if anything that you worry about that's uncertain about the future, you just relabel it tomorrow. And then you just leave it with your heavenly father because he says, tomorrow will worry about itself. God, God says, I'll be there tomorrow and we'll take care of that. Whatever's got to come up tomorrow, we'll deal with that. So what do you do to stop worrying? Well, here's a note to self. Here's what you do. You stop smuggling, according to Jesus, you stop smuggling tomorrow's worries into today. You just trust that God's in control of tomorrow, that God can and will take care of you, and you simply focus on God today and his kingdom first. Not your kingdom, but his kingdom. You say, God, I trust you. And I know that tomorrow is going to take care of itself, so I'm not gonna smuggle tomorrow's worry into today. Now, let me ask you a couple questions to those of you who are followers of Jesus. What if you believed all of this that we've looked at today in Matthew 6 is really true? What if you really believed that your heavenly father was really in control of tomorrow and would be with you tomorrow and cared enough about you to take care of what you're dealing with today and will be there tomorrow when it's today and take care of it as well? So here's my question. Will you choose to worry or trust? This is really your only two options, according to Jesus. You can seek your kingdom first, and you are going to stay in a state of panic and worry and anxiety for the rest of your life. Or you can seek God's kingdom first, and he says, wow, you'll be amazed what happens. Now, if you want to learn how to do this, there's a few things that you can do to get started this week. Here they are. Let me give you three of them. Begin your day by declaring your unwavering trust in God. Just start every day by reminding yourself that everything is in God's capable hands. Just say, God, your kingdom is first today. No matter how uncertain everything feels, no matter how out of control, your kingdom come, your will be done. Second thing, relabel anything that comes up that you're worried about, relabel it tomorrow. Well, whenever you catch yourself worrying today, just say, nope, that's about tomorrow. I'm leaving everything and everyone in God's capable hands. And then number three, and this is so important, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Instead of focusing on what's uncertain or what you feel like you lack, please, please don't miss this. Whenever you focus first on your kingdom, that always paralyzes us emotionally and spiritually. See, when you seek first your kingdom, having certainty and everything feeling like everything's in control in your kingdom, it causes us to disengage emotionally and spiritually. See, that's, that's why when you're thinking, oh, everything's out of control, everything feels uncertain, so I need to pull out of ministry, I need to pull out a small group, I need to focus on my kingdom, my kingdom. That's what focusing on your kingdom does. It means you disengage from the people and the relationships and the priorities that really would help you continue to fulfill your purpose of, 
of God's kingdom in this world. So you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness means you focus on what you do have today and how you can most honor God today and then join God in his work today. So to help us apply this again this week, on your seat when you came in was this card with a passage for you to review daily when you feel worry, anxiety, and fear. Now, if you were with us last week, we gave you the same card, so some of you have practice with this. But here's the thing. I want to remind you of this because it's so helpful. Notice what the Apostle Paul says again. He says, don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. And as I told you last week, many of you go, well, I do that. But notice how the Apostle Paul says to do this. What do we pray? We don't just focus on our petitions or our problems. He says, let petitions and praise shape your worries into prayer. So it's I tell God my problems, what's going on, and then I focus on who God is, and then I trust him. So let petitions and praise shape your worries into prayer, letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good, will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. And so our challenge to you this week again is that you'll commit to reading this passage every day and applying it. But for the next few moments, I want you to pause, and I want you to reflect. And I want you to reflect on what are the two main things that have been on your mind this last week that have kind of been causing worry, fear, anxiety, or keeping you awake at night. So I'm just going to give you a few seconds to write those down, make mental note of those. So I'm going to pause. What are those things? So everybody have those things in your mind on a piece of paper? Here's what I want you to do this week. Those things that are causing you to focus on your kingdom first instead of God's kingdom first. What I want you to do is sometime this week, I would encourage you at the beginning of the week, I would encourage you to get along with God and, and you read these verses from Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. And then pray something like this. We're going to put the prayer up on the screen so you can take a picture of it. If you're following on the RCC app, it's in your, in your app. Just say, God, I'm saying your will be done. You could even start off by saying, God, I'm saying your kingdom first, not my kingdom. God, I'm saying I'm going to focus on your kingdom even though my little kingdom feels un uncertain and out of control. You know what I want. You know my hopes, you know my dreams, you know my goals, but it's no longer about my kingdom. You can even say it's no longer about my kingdom first. That's not going to be my primary focus. It's about your kingdom first and your purpose. So I'm devoting my life to you above my devotion to all of these things, my hopes, my goals, my dreams, what I want, what I think is going to bring me fulfillment meaning and purpose. Now listen, when you do those three steps that I just gave you and you couple those steps with a prayer something like this, do you know what that's called? It's called surrender. I surrender my kingdom, my desires, my wants, my wishes. And when I surrender, 
when you surrender, that's when the peace comes. Now, sometimes the peace comes immediately. Sometimes it's gradual. And you go, why would it be gradual sometimes? Because sometimes we're learning to shift our devotion from my kingdom first to God's kingdom for my security and certainty. But it gradually, as I shift focusing on God's kingdom first, then my worry, it loosens my hold on me. And then I have incredibly different focus. See, it's one thing to say that you believe in God. It's another thing to trust God with your life. Your kingdom come. In fact, Jesus says, when you worry, note to self, the solution to the things that are keeping you awake at night is the path of surrender. It's surrendering your life to God's agenda, to trust him completely, that he knows, that he cares, and he will provide those things you need. See, you conquer worry not by trying to conquer worry. Don't miss that. You conquer worry, not by trying to conquer worry, but rather by trusting, surrendering your life to God's agenda. Saying, God, your kingdom first, no matter what's going on in my life, your kingdom first. You, you allow the prayer of your heart to become our Father in heaven, your kingdom first, your will be done on this earth as, in my li- as it is in heaven in my life. So my challenge to you is, Will you today take the path to peace? But the path to peace, it only comes through the place and the posture of surrender. So let me pray for you. Then I have two things I want to share with you and then we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this incredible opportunity to understand your love for us Because you describe for us that in a world where we're all going to have tribulation, we can be of good cheer because you have overcome the world and you, indwelling us, give us the power and the empowerment to overcome in this world. Thank you that as followers of Jesus, we have your person indwelling us through the Holy Spirit. And I thank you this week that every time we're in these moments when things seem out of control and uncertain in our little kingdom, that you'll be there to remind us, hey, here's the path to peace. It's not focusing more on your kingdom. That causes you to spiritually, emotionally disengage. It paralyzes you emotionally and spiritually. But focus on your kingdom, God. Thank you that you're going to remind us of that. So God, I just ask that you help each one of us to take all those things that we just thought about, those top top two things, relabel them tomorrow and trust you providing care for us. In Jesus' name, we give you thanks. Amen.